Welcome to the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast. And on this episode, we'll be discussing the cranky, cynical, All the Critics Love You in New York. All the Critics is the penultimate track on the 1999 album, so we're up to the second to last song on the home stretch at this point. And joining me to talk about the lyrics to All the Critics Love You in New York is Leslie Ballard. Hi, Leslie. Hey, Jason. Good evening. Good evening to you as well. Welcome to the show. Since this is your first time on the podcast, can you maybe give the listeners a little bit of a background on yourself and your connection to Prince and where that all got started? Sure. Um, thanks for having me here, first of all. Um, it's an absolute pleasure and an honor. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> so I'll just go ahead and give away my age to make some of this make sense. Um, I'm 41 years old, and I first became acquainted with Prince when I was about four, um, which, strangely enough, was right around uh, the time of 1999 album. Um, my mom was a single mom, it was just the two of us, and she had the tape of 1999, and she had a little 1972 Triumph TR6 convertible. It was red, and we would pretend that it was a little red Corvette, and, you know, drive around and, and listen to that song. So that was my first uh, real exposure to Prince. I mean, I was only four, so I yeah. was too little to have understood or even known about, you know, Dirty Mind or Controversy or anything like that. But I, I was an instant fan, um, even as a four-year-old. And then later on, as the years went on, um, I, I remained a fan. But I, I kind of, um, you know, over the years, got into other things. I got into hip-hop, you know, various other types of music. And um, really kind of reconnected with Prince around rave. And then later on, you know, <laughs> I then ended up a broke college student and didn't really have the money to buy a lot of albums and concert tickets and things. So I sort of fell away a little bit again, and then reconnected with Prince once more around Rainbow Children musicology era, and I've stuck around ever since. Um, I wasn't really very connected to the Purple community, so to speak, really until he transitioned. When he was gone, I somehow felt a need to connect in some other way, and the best way that I could find to do that was, you know, through Purple Fam, so to speak. So have really become more connected with, with the community in, in the last couple of years than, than ever before. That's my Prince journey, I guess I'd say. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, actually that sounds, I wouldn't say eerily similar to mine, but boy, there's a lot of parallels there. <laughs> you're, you're a few years younger than me, but we both really kind of connected to Prince for the very first time through the 1999 album. As I've mentioned in previous podcasts, I was a little bit older, but still it was I was still pretty young. And 1999, Purple Rain, Around the World in a Day. I mean, all basically throughout the 80s, I was very into him as well. And like you, it sounds like, then around the time that I became a teenager and a young adult, I started branching out into different forms of music. And, and like you, hip-hop as well was a, a big influence in me in the late 80s and early 90s. And then I um, once I went to college and I started experimenting with different types of music. And so uh, for me, the 90s are, were a big black hole when it came to Prince music. I knew I knew he was releasing stuff. I saw it in the stores. I, I heard songs here and there, but I wasn't really buying his music so much in the 90s. And and, and while I didn't didn't reconnect with Prince at the rave era, it was more musicology. And, and around that time but um yeah that's uh, our stories are are kind of coming and going how princes weaved in and out of our lives really kind of matches my story matches yours in many ways and vice versa and also like you once he transitioned it really felt like i had a i felt had a very compelling need to to really kind of speak to others about what him and his music meant to me throughout my life even if it wasn't always the most important thing to me uh it's always it was always there and right. his music has always been there and even if it was in the 90s was when i wasn't really buying his new stuff anymore i was still listening to the stuff that really spoke to me back in the 80s and i had a lot of nostalgia for so you know i think we're we're both on this podcast today because of because of that that need to to kind of reconnect and connect to other purple fam so Thanks for thanks for joining and thanks for agreeing to be on my podcast, Leslie. I appreciate it. Sure, thank you. All right. Well, now that you've shared your story and I've shared mine again, uh, I think we're probably going to get started talking about all the critics love you in New York. 
So before we get started, they're talking good. about the lyrics. I thought I would provide maybe a little bit of um, background or historical context that that may be helpful for anybody thinking about where, where Prince's mind might have been at. I mean, of course, we're not Prince, so we don't know. But what I think of when I hear this song, you know, I think of where he was in his career around this time. So, like in 1982, you know, he he had been he had released four albums up to this point, and he was somewhat of a, a critical darling. I mean, Dirty Mind was a breakthrough from a from a critical standpoint, and it made a lot of um, year end lists in 1980, best of lists, various publications and critic lists around that time. Controversy maybe didn't get quite the same reception, but it was still favorably reviewed overall, I feel. And despite, you know, all this this critical acclaim and these tastemakers flocking to his concert, people like you know, Mick Jagger, who obviously pegged him to open up for the Rolling Stones around that time, uh, people like the um, artist Andy Warhol and have been cited as being attendees at his New York City concerts. All of this critical acclaim wasn't translating to, to chart success. Right. So now it's 1982. He's got four albums under his belt. He's got a cult following. A lot of people dig his music, but it hasn't translated and it hasn't crossed over. So maybe now he's looking at this whole, this whole new wave and and post punk and art rock scene coming out of New York at the time, and thinking to himself, "Well, that's all great. You know, I've got all this critical acclaim and I've got all these people behind me, but..." what good is it doing me if no one buys my records and so i think of that like kind of where he was at maybe in his career when he wrote this song and i I just wanted to mention that just for a little bit of a little bit of context yeah i think you're you're spot on with with that analysis um you know we don't know exactly when this song was written you know we we know it was recorded what early 82 yeah um at, at sunset sound i think um we don't know exactly when it was written, but we know at least what was going on in a couple years before it could have been written. And I think what you're saying, you know, lines up entirely with with uh, what that's likely to be. Yeah, and like I said before, I let off with this. We're 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 not Prince. We can't know exactly what he was thinking, but uh, to me, it makes sense in some ways. And and that's kind of like the whole purpose of this podcast is to kind of try to figure some things out, at least for ourselves. Whether or not we're right or wrong really isn't the point. It's just to kind of give a little bit of, little bit of uh, insight, maybe that others may not have thought of, or at least to work it out between myself and maybe my guest. <laughs> at least the two of us can work it out. <laughs> sure. Okay. So then, um, with that said, you know the the first verse in all the critics love you in New York. I mean, right off the bat, I'm thinking like his his singing style is a little different than it had been in a lot of songs up to this point, and especially in 1999. He sounds a little, I guess I would say, maybe detached a bit when he's singing these lyrics. And do you kind of get the same the same feeling when you're listening to a song? Like he's singing the song, the lyrics of the song, a little bit removed and detached? I, I do. It sounds very new wave to me. Um, and, you know, we know that he was a huge fan of artists like Gary Newman, in some ways, I think that especially even verse one, and I know we'll get there in a second, but it, it's a kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek critic of New Wave um, and or critique of New Wave. And uh, the vocal style feels like that to me. Like he's he's giving a nod to that sort of genre. Yeah, I mean, you can even call it a little bit of proto-rap. You right. Know, I, I, like, uh, what's that Blondie song, Rapture, where where Debbie Harry does the the rapping in Rapture and it's a little bit like monotone and you know she has her own style in that song and it's 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 a new wave slash hip hop um, combo and in some ways you maybe could even say that the song he attempts to do that a bit but yeah I, I totally get a new wave vibe when I hear the song and at the same time you know we kind of both agree he's <laughs> He's critiquing it a bit, the whole scene, you know, the New York scene at the time. And this first verse, it sounds like he's being a little sarcastic.
So the line is, you can dance if you want to. All the critics love you in New York. You don't have to keep the beat. They'll still think it's neat in New York. You can wear what you want to. It doesn't matter in New York. You can cut off all your hair. I don't think they'd care in New York. So each line in this first verse, he ends in New York. So he's just kind of making a statement. And then, you know, this is the way it is in New York. And that ties, you know, that's just a technique to tie the lyrics together with the theme of the song. So this first verse, Leslie, what are what are you getting out of it when you when you read the lyrics and hear the song? Well, one of the things that that I've always noticed and appreciated about Prince is that he often uh, wrote about and even acted out in his life dualities, sometimes even contradictions, where, you know, God and sex, for example, some people would would consider that um, a duality or contradiction. But Mm -hmm. in this song, to me, verse one and verse two are sort of like that. And verse one, I see is, um, like you were saying that, you know, sort of um, cynical, sarcastic, you know, however you want to put it. But he's saying, you know, to me, you can be kind of banal, unskilled, (laughs) rhythm challenged, have bad hair, and the critics will still love you. You don't have to be any good at what you do. And to me, that's almost, um, you know, this period of time was peak new wave, especially in New York. And, you know, we mentioned that before, but to me, this sounds kind of like an indictment of some of that. You know, for a while, New Wave was an absolute critical darling, no matter if it was any good or not. Um, If you, you know, had a certain sense style or if you were British (laughs) at a certain period of time, uh, you know, you were going to be the top of the charts. The other thing I hear in this verse is um, maybe a, a little critique of New York and its need for trends in general, chasing trends, especially around that time. That's sort of, in a nutshell, the way, the way I hear uh, verse one. Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, I kind of have the same notes that I put down myself. It's like you don't really need to have talent or skill to to be a critical darling right. at this time, especially if you're part of that scene. If you're in the scene itself, in the scene, of course, is in New York City, uh, which is wear the right clothes, you know, look the part, look and act the part, and you too can be a critical darling. You know? Right. That's basically how Prince is kind of saying it. And like you said, a little bit of cynic uh, cynicism in, in these lyrics to say, to say these lines and basically saying you, you, have, you don't have to have skill. You don't have to have talent. Just be part of the scene. Look the part. And um, th- you, can, you can get the same kind of uh, <laughs> critical acclaim that somebody as talented as Prince was getting at the time. Right. And he never says, you know, he never mentions his own skill he's talking in in this first verse at least he's talking about other people and you know and the whole chasing trends and how how new york city was a trendy place for the for the um art rock movement and new wave movement and punk you know i mean it came out of england but then we had a lot of punk bands in new york city at the time that were breaking big or had broken big in recent past years prior i mean we we've seen this throughout musical history you had the um, british invasion where everybody coming out of england was popular and you had uh, the seattle grunge scene in the 90s and then there was even a new york uh, resurgence in the early 2000s uh, with bands like the strokes and um, interpol and and stuff like that yeah yeah, yes so it's all been cyclical and he's just obviously speaking to this one point in time, but um, nothing's really changed <laughs> so much. <laughs> right. It's just uh, maybe sometimes the city changes and the scene scene changes, but the overall, uh, the overall approach to chasing trends has always been there and, and seems to be always will be. You know, I noticed something else in this verse too. Um, I was listening back to this song kind of in, in prep and um it occurred to me that Prince must have been listening to quite a bit of Axis Bold as Love by Jimi Hendrix around this time. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the there's a line in uh, If Six Was Nine um, where he says, if all the hippies cut off all their hair, I don't care. And then there's the line in verse one of all the critics that says, you could cut off all your hair, I don't think they'd care. Um, and then there's another line in If Six Was Nine where he says, uh, go ahead on, Mr. Businessman, you can't dress like me. And then in this verse, 
uh, print says you can wear what you want to. It doesn't matter. Um, mm -hmm. You know, th that just seems like it doesn't seem accidental, um, especially knowing. I mean, I know he liked to say in interviews that he wasn't influenced by Jimmy, but clearly he was. You know, th that just it seems like an interesting parallel in this verse to me. Yeah, yeah, it's good insight. Um, I I'm familiar with that song and Axis Bold as Love, and yeah, you're. I remember that song very much. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, and plus the hippie people... thing, right? There, yeah, the... he talks about hippies all over all over the place in the 1999 era. He does. He does. And I, I was going to bring that up later. So for sure, yeah. hippies are all all over this album, for whatever reason. And so, <laughs> and I've got my theory on what he's you know, what he might be talking about, but. We'll we'll get there. Sure. So the the chorus is very simple. All the critics love you in New York. That's the that's the chorus. And I, I just want to mention one thing before we get too far into it. So this song, All the Critics Love You in New York, I heard it for the first time as the B side to Little Red Corvette. Corvette, yep. Yeah. So imagine I'm a you know, an eight year old kid. Little Red Corvette's a massive pop smash. You know, it's all over the place, all over the radio. My sister brings home the 45, and we pop it on, and, you know, it's the song I've heard on the radio a thousand times, and I love being able to listen to it whenever I want now. But I flip it over because I'm kind of interested in this other song called All the Critics Love New in New York. Because, you know, the B-side sometimes has some some hidden gems. <laughs> as we right. As we definitely know... Uh, with Prince in the 80s, for sure, he had a lot of really excellent B-sides. Right. I, di I didn't know this was an album song. I wasn't you know, that up on, you know, what was on the album, what wasn't. So I turn it over, I play it, and I'm just <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, this is the weirdest song I've ever heard in my life. This is nothing. This is like a w complete 180 from Little Red Corvette. There's no pop hook. It's kind of herky jerky, you know, all over with the the beat behind it, and right, and the, the muted bass, yeah. <laughs> the muted bass, and he's got like these uh, feedback guitars exploding in the background here and there, and and really, I mean, the structure of the song isn't your typical pop song. There's not a verse, chorus, verse, bridge, you know. There's no guitar right. solo. It's just all over the place, and it's. It, it was shocking to me, and I and I'll be honest, as an eight year old, I, I thought the song sucked. That's the the what three minute and something version. That wasn't yeah. even with with everything. <laughs> yeah, it basically fades out shortly after the body don't want to quit. Got to get another right. hit section. Yeah, uh, you know, and now that we're recording this after the uh, re reissue of 1999 with the, the various deluxe versions, and this you know included in that is the seven inch edit of all the critics love you in new york so anybody can have access to that version now if they want this song is about six minutes long on the album because there's a lot that the seven inch cuts off towards the end like like the latter two three minutes of it is all cut off and that's to me that those are like some of the most interesting parts of the song is towards the end right. so i just wanted to bring that up because just from the standpoint of how my criticism of this song when I was a kid, because it sounded nothing like Little Red Corvette, even though it came off the same album, uh, was that it, it was just weird. It didn't follow the structure that I was used to hearing on the radio of pop song. And I just didn't know what the hell he was talking about. I really had no <laughs> clue. I'm relishing the, the opportunity uh, 36 years later to be able to dissect these lyrics <laughs> because... <laughs> When I was a kid, I had no fucking clue what he was talking yeah. about. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> All right. Okay. So uh, with that said, uh, let's go on to verse two. Why you can play what you want to. All the critics love you in New York. They won't say that you're naive if you play what you believe in New York. Purple love and more. He saw your in for, but don't show it. Reason that you're cool is cause you're from the old school and they know it. So verse two he says, uh, why you can play what you want to. All the critics love you in New York. They won't say that you're naive if you play what you believe in New York. Purple love amore is all you're headed for, but don't show it. The reason that you're cool is cause you're from the old school and they know it. 
this one, as you said, talking about duality between the verses, here he does seem to be talking more about actually having talent, um, being able to play from the heart, not not being a poser, essentially, in right. some ways, saying, you know, you have integrity, um, you're on the scene because of you earned a spot here, not because of how you look or what, um, you know, riding coattails or something along those lines like artistry having a, a piece of your critical acclaim in new york is that kind of what you get out of it as well yeah you know the first verse is to me you know basically to sum it up you know the critics will love anything even crap <laughs> um yeah. you know th- this verse is more about you know the critics will love you if you're authentic earnest playing what you feel um, so maybe the point is that the critics will love anything, like literally anything. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think that part of me thinks that when he's talking to the critics, you know, a lot of the critics around uh, Dirty Mind and Controversy were white writers. And I think that he didn't exactly think that they completely got him. You know, he was kind of, a, like you said earlier, a, a darling. But I don't, I don't think that a lot of them truly got his music and what he was trying to say. And I think this verse is kind of like, you know, the critics will love anything, whether or not they get it. I don't know. It's just mm-hmm. kind of the way I, I read it. Yeah. Or, or, or at least minimally, he doesn't think that they got it. Right. You know, he, he has, he has his reservations of whether or not all of this acclaim is coming because they understand what, he, where he's coming from with his music, or if they're just jumping on to the new hot thing and he just happens to be it. Right. And, you know, as soon as he is no longer the flavor of the month, maybe he will not receive that same critical acclaim. I mean, and honestly, he saw that in his career. He saw he saw the, the critical uh, reception kind of dry, dry out a bit later on in his career where he wasn't getting the same accolades. He wasn't getting the same press, positive press. Part of that was, you know, due to the maybe changing style of his music and just not being in in fashion anymore um you know he wasn't part of the the grunge movement in the in the 90s and he wasn't part of you know the mtv generation had passed and now it was a a new generation of stars and he was past his prime so to speak so they were latching on to the new hot thing so he he was probably even at this young age probably thinking to himself this is all great but this could go away tomorrow because I, I may not have what others are looking for in a musician. I, I may have it today, but I might not have it tomorrow. So as long as I play what I believe and do, and like you said, have integrity and um, authenticity behind my music, ultimately it's not going to matter. Like he's not playing for the critics. Right. And yeah, they could love everything at the point. One point is they could love everything, but they could also throw it all away as quickly as they love them. You know, you just you just can't hang your hat on it. I guess is what I'm thinking of as well. Right. And then the, you know the line, uh, "Purple love amour." As all yeah, you I was just going to ask you about yeah. that. <laughs> you got my mind. <laughs> I, it, it kind of uh, to me what you were saying leads into that. Um, you know, that era in many ways was had already become and was increasingly becoming hyper-masculine. You know, you had punk and post-punk and just this different, um, you know, like I said, a hyper-masculine vibe. And so, you know, there's an image to maintain, macho, cool, tough guy sort of image. And um, he had that, but he wasn't always that. And, um, you know, I think that's where he's, what he's speaking about there, you know, and, it, and it's interesting the way that his voice inflects when he says, but don't show it, right? It, it's, mm-hmm. to me, it's it's cute. I, I really like that line a lot. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's what he's he's getting at there. How about you? Yeah, the purple of a more line is a an interesting one. You know, I, I think of it some ways, like he's talking about purple love, because love and amour are kind of, you know, saying the same thing. Right. But he's also maybe thinking, I think of it some ways, like, purple love as being the thing that is being critically acclaimed like his whole Mm. like his vibe of purple love i mean i know at this point 1999 he is just starting to integrate purple into his lexicon you know he's he he really didn't get a lot of that prior to this album 
he then in this album he just mentions purple all over the place and it's all over the album cover and it's all into the lyrics but in in some ways i look at i could think that maybe he's talking about his scene potentially with purple love and getting away from uh maybe violent lyrics or like some of the the punk scene which was there was always like a hint of violence behind punk rock in some ways where purple love kind of tells me it's more of a it's more of a vibe of understanding and a vibe of um togetherness and community and it has has more positive feelings and so i get i get a little bit of that when i hear purple love well and it could just be that he needed something to rhyme i mean i I mean honestly the simplest answer is the right yeah (laughs) you know sometimes i think i mean clearly you and i both like to analyze lyrics we wouldn't be on here but (laughs) you know sometimes i think I think it's Lisa Coleman that I've heard say that before. Like, you know, sometimes it wasn't that deep, you know, you, it, it didn't really mean uh, anything particularly deep. Um, but I was thinking yeah. too, you know, if you think about the phrase purple prose, you know, in, in literary crit, um, it's extravagant, flowery, ornate, which yeah. really kind of describes him in a number of ways. So, yeah. you know, to me, I think, think of that when I think of purple as well. Very interesting. The, also, the the last line from the this verse talks talks about being from the old school is the reason why you're cool, and I just get from this like you know somebody who has experience and has paid their dues, not just an up and comer like I had mentioned writing the coattails of a previous scene or a previous artist who has put in the work, paid their dues, and that inherently kind of makes them cool as well the reason why you're cool is because you're from the old school and they know it they know that you come from a different time where and this goes back to the whole anybody could be a critical darling in new york because in verse one it's like all these he's talking about all these people who don't have skill and just kind of the up-and-comers and you don't have necessarily even have to to have paid your dues to be loved in new york and in verse two, you talk about artistry and and integrity and authenticity and paying your dues, <laughs> right. and and that all equally will get you love in New York. So, the, once again, the duality between the two verses. Absolutely. It's time for a new direction. It's time for jazz and die. Fourth day of November. Okay, so then after the second verse, all the critics love New in New York. It's the chorus again, pretty simple. And then he goes into a another little section of, of I don't know what to call it. I kind of call it a, a continuation of the chorus. It's more of an extended chorus because he kicks it off like he's going to start another verse. You can dance if you want to, which is a callback to the first line in the first verse. But then it's just more of the all the critics love you in New York. All the critics love you. All the critics love you. All the critics love you in New York. So that's still, to me, a little bit more of just like the same thing, just the chorus extended. Then after that, we get we get some new lyrics in what is maybe something like a bridge where the lines are, it's time for a new direction. It's time for jazz to die. Fourth day of November, we need a purple high. So here he's talking about um, changing things up, switching things up a bit. So just if I'm looking at each line, it's time for a new direction. It's time for jazz to die. I like that one amuses me a bit because what's he got against jazz? First of all, (laughs) and second of all, we know that the event, I mean, he, he warms up. If he didn't like jazz in 1982, he definitely warms up to it. Um, Madhouse is only a few years away. (laughs) Well, we know he really got into Bill Evans, you know, around this time as well, you know, with, um, Lisa and Wendy, Lisa specifically, I think, bringing him a lot of um, Bill Evans, you know, piano jazz type stuff. And and then, you know, not even Madhouse era parade is just a few years later and it's super jazz heavy. So yeah, we know he didn't hate it, you know. No, he, didn't hate it. he didn't hate it for sure. 
And, and if he did, it, it was short-lived. <laughs> it was definitely short-lived. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, we don't have to necessarily take that line literally. Like, it's time for jazz to die because I hate jazz. Right. I, I don't know if he's saying that really. But, but yeah, I just, I just find it amusing because, you know, we know that he doesn't hate jazz. At least for the most of his career, he doesn't. And, and then, he could just be saying, you know, you need to listen to this new sound and take it seriously. You know, it may just be that simple. Um, yeah, could be. Uh, and then the next line, fourth day of November, we need a purple high. And, you know, I, I looked up, like, what were some, you know, important events in the, the fourth day of November? I mean, to me, it's probably on election day. And I like did look, Reagan? It, yeah, it, yeah, it was election day in 1980, so two years prior. Uh, November fourth, nineteen eighty, was the election day. I mean, it doesn't always fall on November fourth, but it's usually you know, it's the first Tuesday in the month. So um, it just happened to be in nineteen eighty that November fourth was election day. So that's all I get out of that. Is he's just talking about a winds of change or something needs to change, and, and oftentimes elections bring change, or they can represent change, even if nothing really changes at the end of the day. They're supposed to represent change. I mean, Obama ran on the whole hope campaign, you know. And he was elected on November 4th also. Ah, interesting. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, so, yeah, anyway, uh, do you get anything else out of these lines? Um, you know, I just wanted to observe, too, it's the second time in this song, I think, that he's mentioned purple. Yeah. You know, within the within the same song. I just thought that was interesting, too. Yep, it is the second time. Uh, and that's, he just goes from zero to a hundred on the purple references right like never talking about it then you know it's just it's inescapable in 1999 that color is inescapable so it was clearly by design i would say because you could have put anything here we we need an orange high we need we need a red high i mean purple you know i mean to me that at that point he was he he decided purple was going to be the color of the album and it was going to be representative of of a number of different things and also, I found going through these lyrics because, oddly enough, the 1999 album itself has printed lyrics for every song except this one, except for all yeah. the lyrics "Love You in New York." So all the lyrics that I've ever looked at have just been transcribed over the years by those diligent enough and patient enough to do so. The good news is that he sings most of the song in a in a way that makes it pretty clear to understand. So I don't, I, I going through and reading the lyrics while listening to the song simultaneously, I don't hear anything differently than what I've read online. So I feel like what's online is, is accurate or as accurate as possible. But there's, there's a few lines in this song as I'm going through the lyrics. I'm like, wait, when does he say that? Because, I just never heard it, either because it was kind of hidden behind a blast of guitar or sung so quietly that I just never picked up on it. Mm. And this, in this one line where he says, don't give up, I'll still love you. Love you, right. I never heard that line, and it's and I, I paid very close attention to listen to it. And I'm just waiting for him to say it, and he said it, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> I never heard that before. <laughs> That's bizarre. To me, it is. I mean, had you heard it? I assume you had. You know, I'm, I kind of had the same experience as you. But it was a few years ago. I was like, wait a minute. What? You know, I was reading along to the lyrics and going, when does he say that? And had to rewind. So very similar experience with that line. It's it's okay. very subtle, but it's it's definitely there. Yeah, it's super subtle. And there's one line later on that we'll get to shortly here that's even more subtle than this one. But don't give up. I'll still love you. Now that I know it's there, I'll always hear it. You know, that's how it right. goes. But prior to me knowing it was there, I never heard it. So the don't give up, I'll still love you. I, I didn't put a lot of thought into that line besides just don't give up, maybe meaning in the context of this song, don't give up your artistry, don't give up you know, being who you are, um, doing what you believe, playing from your heart, that kind of thing. Don't give up trying to become successful in whatever it is you do. I can see that. Yeah, yeah I don't, I, I, that's all I really get out of it. I Like I said, because I just recently heard it <laughs> for the first time, <laughs> I haven't had a lot of time with that line in particular to, to digest it and think about it up further than most of the rest of the song. So, 
anyway, um, if you have anything different you want to say about that one, now's the time. Otherwise, I'm going to move on. I was just thinking maybe it's said from the perspective of the critics. Um, maybe. That's yeah. another way to read it, too. Um, not saying that's right, just thinking. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly why I have guests on this, on this <laughs> podcast. Because, like I said, I just heard it, so I really hadn't spent much time with it. But, yeah, it could absolutely be from the perspective of the critics. Don't give up. I'll still love you. I mean, he's talking about all the critics loving you so it makes sense that it could be from a from the critic standpoint too critics perspective Okay, so then after the don't give up, I'll love you, I'll still love you line, he goes back into the chorus, all the critics love you in New York, and he repeats that a couple times. Then he does the all the critics love you, all the critics love you, all the critics love you in New York. <clears throat> At this point now, we get repeated four times. He says, body don't want to quit, got to get another hit. He says that four times. Body don't want to quit, got to get another hit. Tell me what you think about this line. Do you have any thoughts on it in particular what do you get from this line that's repeated four yeah. times here there's two things that that i see in here um one you know a hit could be drugs of course or it could be a musical hit mm-hmm. a hit song yep. um you know knowing prince's reputation for working non-stop the latter to me is most likely um or at least that's how how i like to interpret that um you know i can't stop i can't stop working i can't stop producing music i, I gotta get another hit the other thing that I observe here, and this is maybe kind of subtle, but this sounds kind of like a nod to James Brown a little bit. You know, that just the way that the way it's paced, and I don't know, uh, you know, body don't want to quit. That just it makes me think, JB. Yeah, um, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Now that you say that, I get that too. But I hadn't thought of that prior to you mentioning that. So, yeah, I like that because we also know Prince was a, a James Brown fan, right? Uh, I mean, how could he not be, right? So, I mean, James Brown was pretty amazing. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, you know, both the the hit could mean either or, just depending on your perspective, depending on how you think about it. The way, of course, I think of it mostly is the whole striving for success, the the can't stop, won't stop mentality. (laughs) And it's just coming out. Body don't want to quit. Got to get another hit. But you could totally read those lines and think somebody's like a drug addiction. Uh, Got to get another hit. Like he's fiending. Somebody's fiending for that that next hit of the crack or you know heroin or whatever. Right. Um, but it, that does that line. If that if it means that, it's kind of out there in terms of the what, the themes of the song. So the themes of the song bring him lead you to believe it's more talking about a hit in terms of successful song that reached a lot of people <laughs> but right. but it could definitely mean the other thing if you're thinking of it like you you know in the context of you're in new york city you're in this scene um and we know that drugs were prevalent in the rock scene at the time not that they're not anymore but uh you know, there, there's been tons of stories over the years about, you know, cocaine being an enormous drug in the early 80s, enormously popular. And you know, a lot of a lot of musicians and artists were using drugs fairly heavily at the time. So, you know, you could be in that scene and become popular and critically acclaimed and in the New York in New York City at the time. And you could also be a drug addict. I mean, it, they're not mutually exclusive. Sure. So the, there's this other line here, though, after Body Don't Want to Quit, Gotta Get Another Hit. And it's this is the most subtle line in the song. I really had to struggle to hear them, but it's there because I had my headphones in. And you can, you know, when you have headphones in, you can hear things a little differently than if you're jamming out in your car. You don't have the most amazing you know, speaker system to pick up all the little subtleties. But he says, fuck me over. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like whispered almost. I don't. I, just, I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I've, I've really, heard that, but I got nothing on that line. I know. I don't know, I, I don't know either. I just. I feel like I need to mention it because it's there. He he says it. Well, that is another line. Like, don't give up. I'll still love you. 
doesn't he kind of say like yeah like yeah yeah like, it goes uh, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah and then and then after some yeah. more music like you after the body don't want to quit got to get another head there's some you know some more of the uh, the music and the song and then he has a ooh, 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 yeah yeah you know and then right and then i'm waiting for it i'm waiting for it because according to the lyrics that i'm looking at online he should be saying this anytime now so i'm waiting for it waiting for it waiting for it finally he whispers it <laughs> and right around the time that there's a there's a guitar blast and so i'm like well no wonder why i never heard it <laughs> you know he's he's practically whispering it and it's kind of masked. Right, under, right under yeah exactly it's masked by this guitar and so I don't know what, what he's talking about that because once again I've had so little time with that line knowing that it even existed and it was part of the song. So yeah. anybody listening want to tell me what they think fuck me over means in the context of the song, feel free to let me know because I have no clue. <laughs> uh, all the critics love you in New York. He sings that a few more times. And now we get to the part of the song that's totally just missing from the 7-inch edit. And it's just kind of, it feels like you know, some ad-libbing going on here, whether or not it's ad-libbing or he had this all written down, he was ready to say these lines, I have no idea. says what you looking at punk look at all you hippies you ain't as sharp as me it ain't about the tripping but the sexuality turn it up here it's like i just i just get this image in my head and i do this with a lot of lyrics of prince's songs and i've done this on previous episodes where i i have when i hear the song especially since i've heard this song so many times over the past 36 years that you just at some point you start to get like a picture in mm-hmm. your head of what is happening in certain moments of songs. And the picture I always had in this is Prince is walking the streets of New York City because you know, he must be in New York, right? <laughs> because that's the song title. It's in the song title in the chorus. And he's just, uh, he's, you know, maybe walking down a seedy part in a seedy part of town, which I guess in the 80s was like most of New York City, <laughs> or at least Manhattan. <laughs> and he sees people and he's uh, maybe hanging out at CBGB's or something. And he's just like trying to pick a fight or something like that. You're looking at punk. Yeah. Like, I mean, maybe he didn't start it, but all we hear is Prince's side of it. What you looking at punk. And then what, there's the hippie line that you had uh, alluded to earlier. Look at all you hippies. You ain't as sharp as me. And um, I think you made the connection to uh, the Jimi Hendrix song when he talks about hippies there and it's kind of like the same same thing isn't it similar line yeah yeah in if six was nine he he talks to mr businessman saying you can't dress like me um but yeah like we said before there's a ton of hippie talk in the 1999 era you know this song of course um let's pretend we're married yep um extra lovable uh where he says uh, you got something that would make uh many hippie mighty proud yep I i think he says it twice in this song and, you know, in this song, it sounds in many ways negative, but again, there's that duality there. You know, he was definitely into the hippie aesthetic um, all the way through around the world in a day, even Graffiti Bridge, arguably. Anyway, little yeah, no, tangent there, but... No, it's not. It's, it's totally makes sense, though, because I've had that same kind of... Um, thought process where i just get confused because in some songs it sounds like he really has disdain for hippies and it seems to be like he's he's dissing them in, in some ways <laughs> and then in others other times you you see his look or see the sound that's that or or i should say maybe the uh the themes of his songs would be embraced by the hippie movement you know where it's all about love and um, sexuality and understanding and peace and and things that he really kind of um, embraced throughout his career. 
So it's like, why does he? Why does he not like hippies? I mean, they, they, they seem to be they seem to be on the same side of the coin. You know, they're fighting for the same things. So that's why it kind of goes back to something you had said earlier, where maybe it's just not so much literally the hippies, like you know, the the stereotypical '60s '70s hippies. Maybe it's just he's just talking about the older generation, you know. And maybe the older white generation is right. That's what I was going to say. He he might be talking to white folks here. Um, yeah, and it could be. It could be. He's just that's just his code for white people. Uh, you know. Well, it, you you think of you know DMSR. He straight says it. Um, you know, white people yeah. clap your hands on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it wouldn't be the first time that he's. And, and you know that one was sort of uh, to me <laughs> on, in on DMSR kind of tongue-in-cheek poking fun like do you guys have rhythm come on you know everybody clap together um right. you know so it, it would it would align with this interpretation of you know hippies not being um necessarily the the cool young people or cool young even white people but they're the sort of passe out of touch maybe older generation like you were saying yeah yeah that's kind of where i've ended up lining out at with his hippie comments in this era is I really, I just don't, you know, my, it's my take. That's all I can say is my take is I really don't think he hated hippies <laughs> or I shouldn't say hate that he, you know, had disdain for them. As I mentioned before, he's, he's youthful at this time. I mean, you're not supposed to trust your elders. You know, you're not necessarily supposed to feel like the way that the previous generation is the right way. You've got your own way. You have to make your own, way in the world and you and your generation are going to do things a little differently and and you may be out of touch and you may think that you're part of you know this this critical movement and what's going on at the time because you're you're in a position of power where you can say you will be successful you will not be successful and maybe some of that is what he didn't like that right they had all the power and um his generation wants some of that back so who knows? But uh, yeah, that's kind of where I ended up with that, with the hippies. Um, he doesn't really talk about hippies much more after 1999. So <laughs> it ain't about the tripping, but the sexuality. To me, that's just, you know, it's not about taking drugs, but because, you know, the hippies, that's that's what they were once again, maybe stereotypically known for is their rampant drug use and and, you know, being high all the time. Uh, so he and you know, to acid on acid trips and things of that nature. So here he's saying it ain't about the tripping, but the sexuality, because he was preaching sexuality from the get go. Right. And on his previous album, he had a song called Sexuality, which was all about this new movement of sexuality as being all that you really need. So do you get anything besides that out of that line? You know, tripping. You know, I, I was a little kid back in the day, so I don't. <laughs> I don't know, you know, if tripping had a dual meaning then, but nowadays it could mean like, you know, people say, why are you tripping? Why are you, you know, why are you acting crazy? Why are you, why are you bugging? You know? yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so it, to me, I, I kind of hear it that way too, but that could be, you know, hindsight and, and modern usage. I don't yeah. know if, if it was used that way then. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either, but um, yeah, it could, it could. I, I just went straight to the, the drug reference just because mm-hmm. he talked about hippies right in the previous line. So that's where I go with it uh, immediately. But yeah, I mean, that's that's what it's all about is looking at things differently. And Trippin does have multiple meetings, especially now. After, the, after this little section where he's kind of yelling out, he repeats another line. You know, he starts repeating lines of the, of the chorus and of the what I called the extended chorus earlier. You can dance if you want to. He says that again. All the critics love you in New York. He says that again. And then we start to get this this high-pitched synthesizer squealing that's supposed to mimic like, you know, like a police siren. Sirens, right? Yeah, sirens of some sort, ambulance or police or something.
and then we hear <laughs> the radio. <laughs> we hear Prince doing like this, you know, like this breaker breaker type of radio um, line where he says, "Yes, we're certain of it. He's definitely masturbating." <laughs> and I, I don't know. I, to me, that just cracks me up every time I hear it. I can't, I can't keep a straight face when he says that. Yeah. <laughs> I think Prince is probably uh, cracking himself up when he said that line, too. If I oh, to. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine, like, if we ever found any outtake from this song, you know, because uh, have you heard um, the 1999 reissue and any of the bonus tracks? Yes. And the, don't we hear him laughing and or starting to laugh in, during the International Lover or something? Oh, like yeah. That? <laughs> and, and I love that version of International Lover. I, li- I like it better than, quote unquote, the original. Yeah, yeah. It's a great version. I mean, every song on there is great. But that's that's definitely an aside because uh, we're not talking about that. But it, I right. brought it up because um, I don't know how you could, <laughs> when he's thinking of doing this and deciding, I'm just going to throw this, this. I'm just going to pretend to be a cop. And he pretends to be a cop later on. Uh, Z- is it Zandalee off of Chaos and right. Disorder? Mm-hmm. He, he does another sort of like hick cop voice, <laughs> uh, Minnesota voice. Um so it's kind of funny. Sometimes he likes to, uh, to throw on the authority figure voice, and it's you know it, it's always to comedic effect, I think, and um, it certainly follows suit here. With yeah, he's definitely masturbating. So he, they, <laughs> and once again, I just get I envision, as I mentioned, I like to have like little pictures in my head when I'm thinking of songs that I've heard you know thousands of times. I don't know if these cops are like uh, cruising like Central Park or something and, <laughs> and they found some guy with his pants down. I don't know what's going on. That's funny. Yeah, it is funny. It's it's a it's a funny line. Kind of a throwaway line, but I hadn't mentioned it. And then the only other kind of original line or different line other than just repeating all the critics love you in New York is he just yelled out, take a bath, hippies. And, Hippie thing again. <laughs> and I, once again, I just like, boy, Prince is just, ripping on all these people he's like walking around just trying to pick fights with all these people like what you looking at punk you know <laughs> take a bath hippies and so i just envision all these people walking up down the street and having this this guy yelling at him it's like what the hell <laughs> what did i do to you dude <laughs> but super confident about it you know <laughs> oh yeah and, no, and no. who he is yeah he, he's he has a total conviction with each of these lines <laughs> he feels like hippies need to take a bath for sure and uh he probably wasn't wrong <laughs> no the, he, he probably that that once again that's another one of those hippie stereotypes they're always right. high and they're always dirty <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that's the song man i mean that's that's pretty much it after that you just hear him say new york new york over and over again as the song fades out to some more feedback uh, and guitar i call them guitar stabs because they're just there's not really a solo it's just like him kind of playing some 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 notes on the guitar and just really kind of amping it up to make it sound as as weird as possible and you know once again to make it sound a little maybe new wave-ish in some ways mm-hmm. right um and slash punkish i guess also you can maybe say uh do you have any final thoughts on the song leslie you know you asked me which song i i w- wanted to do when we were talking about uh, the podcast and I've always just loved this song. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who were like, Oh, I always skip that track. Um, I don't get it. Oh man. (laughs) And and I don't, I mean, I don't totally get it either. Obviously, if you listen back to what we just said, but I've, I've always loved it. It was different. Um, Didn't sound like everything else. And, you know, I, I really, you know, enjoyed talking about this one with you and um, I hope Maybe we can get some folks to turn an ear back to it a little bit that maybe have been ignoring it. Um, I think it's it's worth a listen. I 100% agree with that. I completely ignore my eight-year-old self and his original opinion of the song as being crummy um, <laughs> because I've certainly changed my tune on it over the years, and I just it, I just wasn't ready for it. I mean, this is this is a, a dense song. It's not. It's not poppy. Uh, there's barely a chorus, and you have to have some some life experience to kind of even begin to have any clue what Prince is talking about in this song. Right. And you have to be a fan. I think it really helps to be a fan of music and kind of understand a little bit how it, 
popular culture works and trends work and how sometimes it feels like it's things change. And as you know, we're, you mentioned you're 41, I'm 44. Uh, we, we've seen lots of trends over the years. We've seen things come and go. Something that was super cool five years ago, it just the, the cycle of, of popularity and trends is just so quick. And it's even quicker now, I think, probably than it was then. I don't know this for a fact. Uh, but I feel like trends change faster because of technology, maybe. But I guess where I'm going with that is this song... I feel like you can't really even begin to understand what Prince is talking about until you've lived long enough to see things come and go and kind of get a little bit of cynicism inside of you about some of the trends that have come and gone. You're like, "Uh, do I jump on this trend because it's going to go away? Nah, I didn't really like that one. I'll wait for the next trend. You know, (laughs) you can do that after, after having some time, the luxury of time. And, um, as a, as a child, you, you just can't really comprehend what he's talking about. Uh, you have no you have no frame of reference. You've never been really critiqued on anything. You know, if you've done anything artistic and have somebody critique it, it's kind of probably a, a really tough pill to swallow because it's art. Uh, to, so to have somebody critique your art is, I imagine, pretty difficult. And uh, and so at this point, Prince was fortunate enough to have been on the favorable side of a lot of those critiques. But I think he was also wise enough to know that he's probably had seen the same thing with some of his uh, favorite artists growing up. Maybe we're no longer being looked at as the amazing artists that they once were. And he probably foresaw that there was always a potential that that could happen to him as well and wanted to kind of make a statement about that ahead of time in lieu of that happening. Cause he was still a critical darling at this point, but right. um, he, and, I think he was also cynical about it too. Right. I think it's worth mentioning too. Um, kind of, I guess my final thoughts that he, he clearly didn't see this as a throwaway track because he performed it live, like all the way through probably what 2015 even. <clears throat> and, you know, a, a version of it was on what Indigo nights, um, Mm-hmm. What was it? All the critics love you in London, I guess. Yeah. On that one, because yeah. um, he was known to, you know, change the the city uh, in, in later years, I, I suppose. But, you know, he he performed it for years live, and you know there were a lot of tunes that never really got uh, performed live. So he he certainly put some value on this track. So you know, back to what I was saying before, I think it's it's worth it's worth a listen. I agree. I agree. People should pay attention to the song, and I understand why they don't because it is a little out there. And, but there's, there's a lot of good in this song and I, I, it makes me smile. I I get a kick out of the whole song. Um, It's not as serious, I think in some ways as it may be, I don't, whether or not he intended it to be serious or not, I don't know, but I, I don't take the song very seriously in a lot of ways. I look at it as, as more of a, a kind of a fun statement song, but not, I wouldn't put it in a serious Prince category. All right. Well, I think that we will call it. Thanks again, Leslie, for joining me. I appreciate you calling in and spending some time talking about All the Critics Love You in New York. Thanks for having me, Jason. Appreciate it. This has been the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast. I've been your host, Jason Berninger, with Leslie Ballard. All the Critics Love You in New York, 1999. Until next time, thank you. Thank you.